This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. Hello, I'm Terrence. Hi, I'm Julie. And we're going to talk about The Angel of Terror by Edgar Wallace, a 1922 novel uh, about some very mean people, some very bad people, who um, all look very pretty. (laughs) They act so sweet. They understand the way everyone thinks. But they're physically beautiful, too. That's the important part, right? She is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I think everybody's pretty... You know, even the even dad, the ugly they... even the ugly people are kind of you know they're distinctive. Yeah. <laughs> even Jaggers becomes uh, bearable. In, indeed, very true. His beauty of soul comes through. It does. His nobility, I guess, of purpose. Yeah, I was not surprised that I was surprised, but I was surprised when I was surprised. There was a, there's a big surprise <laughs> in this in this book, right? It's completely clear yeah, what I said. So. Yeah, well, so um, did people like the book? I mean, I picked it. I love it. This is my third or fourth time to read it. Third or fourth time, wow. Well, Ah. over the years, just listening to the LibriVox recording for, you know, entertainment. Mm -hmm. So did people enjoy it or? Yes, I I, I liked it. I I read it through in two sittings and um, I started with the LibriVox recording, but it was too slow. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to know uh, what was happening after a, a few chapters, so I listened to the recording only when uh, there were sort of long descriptive paragraphs. And as for the rest, I I, just, I read optically, visually to to get through. I, I find Edgar Wallace has that effect. He, not all his books are great, but he wrote a ton of books. He was super popular. And just recently, I was reading a different book of his that was new to me, and I stayed up past midnight just, you know, turning those pages because it was very exciting. You so. probably read it as fast as you wrote it. <laughs> you yeah. could turn them out, right? Literally, literally true. true. Just, yeah. Yeah. He, he, you know what he did? He just dictated them into like a whatever, a dictaphone of the time and had people type them up later. Mm-hmm. Like he just roared through them. And you can so tell in some ways, um, absolutely, yeah. especially if you know what you're looking for, because I, uh, Kevin J. Anderson does the same thing. Yeah, um, I was about to bring him up, yeah. And <laughs> and and yet, um, it's not an ability most people could anywhere approach. No. But um, I, I, I wasn't super, super duper familiar with Wallace as a person. I just read, you know, a couple of his... He he has a few short things, but mostly he's he's the novelist is what he's known for, um, and so I'm not I wasn't super familiar with when I read his biography, his Wikipedia biography, anyways, which is very extensive, mm-hmm. um, and I was about halfway through the book or so when I started doing that, I was like, aha, <laughs> I see exactly, and then I'm going back to the beginning of the book and thinking about the ending and. And, and in fact, just thinking about all the things that happen in the story, um, he is one of those guys who used every part of the animal, right? Every part of the buffalo. Because <laughs> everything that happens in the story is stuff that happens in his life. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, he's all over. He's it. he's all the he's the bad guys. He's the good yep. guys. He's the mm-hmm. he's the pretty people. Um, and just thinking about like where it's the setting suddenly for no reason mm-hmm. they they go to the south of France. Why not? Let's like, all go, right? And he wrote King Kong. Yeah. Wait, he did. Yes. yes. Uh, I, I I admit I admit to absolute ignorance regarding the author and his oeuvre. I had I had not knowingly contacted any of his works, although clearly you know King Kong's. But like I, so. So, yeah, Which so I think I'll, is the best way to approach him rather than looking at it and going, oh, he did this, he did that, he did this. That drives me nuts, mm. um, per, just personally. I'd rather just go, everybody uses themselves or whatever their experiences are, and they translate it in a story. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, as I said, whether good or bad, Wallace, he could just churn out a great adventure a lot of the time. And this one I like. Because it's it's one of his best ones, I think, and it's more complete than a lot because mm-hmm. I love um, – and we could talk about it later, I guess. But the comparison between the angel, <laughs> Jean Briggerland, and the other woman, Lydia, mm-hmm. who's like the traditional woman. Um, and you – I come out of it really not li- – you can't like Jean Briggerland, but you can admire her, <laughs> which is what Jack Glover does. Jack Glover says, wow – if she just wasn't evil, she would. What a hell of a woman she would be, you know, because she just is. Is she's so complete about everything? Remorselessly, so, anyway. Lydia liked her. Yes, at the end, she did. She she did. Oh, yeah. And I I I wouldn't say that I would read this again. Um, you don't need to. There's tons of other Edgar Wallace books you can read. <laughs> that's true. So that's many. true. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, but it it, it was like you know candy. Oh, it's, total candy. It's total it's a pulp story, and I love them. I, you know, it's a weakness of mine. But I think Wait, that uh, the author really, really loved her. Like he didn't kill her; he gave her a happy ending. Mm-hmm. He was all on her side. And sometimes he does that. And this, like I say, this isn't traditional. He doesn't usually do that with his villains. It's usually very much the evil person, and then you're on the side of the good people because the evil person's so nefarious, and there's nothing likable about them. There's another book of his I really like that's not on LibriVox, but it's called Jacko Judgment. And it's almost like a um, Batman slash Joker type character who just pops up. And the whole story is told really from the point of view of the evil people who are just like, oh, we got everything in place. Oh, crap. Here's this guy who just shows up with his playing cards and is ruining everything for us and has his evil laugh coming out of nowhere. And so... You're almost on their side. You can't be because they're terrible, but he flips it that way. Mm-hmm. So every of, so often he'll do that. One of the things that that uh, I was unaware of at the time of the start is is what kind of genre this was. Because I've read Edgar Wallace, but um, he, he actually wrote quite a bit of different style of genre. And this is not a I, – I, I suspected it would be a – a straight up mystery, and that's not what it is. It's a suspense, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Mm. It's something yeah, that that Hitchcock would put out, right? Rather yeah, because than... we, yeah, because we know right from the start that Jean is evil and she's doing all these horrible things and more harp, more things as goes along. It's just a matter of is she going to get away with it or how it, <laughs> how how is Lita is going to escape Jean's machinations and won't yeah Jean's desperate attempts to get the money by any means possible. So it's really of a Will it? Will she do it rather than who done it? Yeah, right. but it wasn't. It wasn't suspenseful, and it wasn't 
terrifying either. It was calculating and mm. kind of armchair interesting. What's mm-hmm. she going to do next? Mm-hmm. Um, but also we would see things happen and then get the explanation. Rather yeah, than, that was interesting. I liked that. Yeah. 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 And then we would get previews of what 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 may happen, and then we'd mm-hmm. see. Yeah, sometimes I thought I was like, I got to, rec- I had to rewind. Like, what, did this? Did I miss something? Mm. Did this happen out of sequence? Because it it did do some interesting jumping. Yes, around, and and the I thing like. is, is that uh, th- that style of writing, that style of thinking, um, comes from him working the plot out on the fly, right? Well, he's always mm-hmm. talking it out because yeah. he's saying. Aha, uh-huh, this is where it's going. Okay. And then aha, here we go. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's yeah. he's working it out on the fly and and that's why he can put out a novel in 3 days, right? And did, did, did you read he doesn't edit either. He just and, right. he, and he got mad at editors. He said don't don't touch it. <laughs> yeah. But this because it he's got magic and he knows how to put that ma- to lay that magic down. Um but thinking about like uh, just break break it down by the characters and, and the locations, right? Set in London, there's courtroom scenes. There's a, a, a ton of funny lines that we can pull out and look at. Really good ones, yeah. A ton of funny lines. Um, and and then we get the south of France, down in Terence's neighborhood, right? Yes. Uh, with Cannes and uh, Monte Carlo. And they go into... And it, Nice. Yeah, Nice. And nice. nice and, and, and into San Remo, I think, right? In Italy? Yes, and Cap Martin. Right. Um, so uh, the, they go down there, there, essentially. The beach, it's they, yeah. go, they go down there, essentially, uh, for vacation. But really, the true reason, <laughs> the yeah. true reason they go down there is because Ed, Edgar Wallace goes down there. And the true reason he goes down there is because he has to get rid of his money as quickly as possible. Right. If you look at his his biography, he was constantly in debt, right? Yeah. And and I'm like, where where's all this money going? Is he drinking it? Because you can't drink that much, right? And you can't you can't drug yourself that much. You, you can you can you know drug other people as well as yourself. <laughs> but the best way to get rid of money is to go to Monte Carlo, right? And that's the the truth is that the reason they're all visiting there. Is not just to enjoy the beaches and and the society. It's to it's to get rid of the money. Well, that's the reason Wallace is there, right? But it provides well, background. And then uh, also, how, it's very exotic because he was writing just you know these are regular mysteries sure. like you pick up at any bookseller. But everybody we, loves that. When I started the book, I was like, um, "There's a few sound a few sound problems at the beginning of the audiobook because." Mm. Uh, the narrator um, didn't have a great mic at the beginning and then actually gets better. There, and then there's one <laughs> chapter where it's sort of not as good again, but it's generally, it's totally listenable. Although I, I do yeah, apologize can, for that. You can tell when she stopped and started recording because the, the ambience in the back is different oh. in a couple chapters. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a bit bad in the first few chapters, but it, it's, it's totally manageable by the middle and, and, and pretty much through to the end. Um, but uh, I was I was kind of thrown uh, because we open with a conclusion of a murder case, right? That's usually the middle of the book or the late end of the book, right? Here we start with the murder case, then the lawyers get to to like, hmm, how can we how can we get our client off even though he's already been convicted? <laughs> and, yeah. And then they uh, notice how devious the lawyers like they're willing to break the law and <laughs> flout the law any any which way from Sunday just because. They, you know, 
they they, they know he was innocent and she was not but also mm-hmm. the 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 father his father started their firm and uh they right. feel they yeah. feel sort of a sense of um family loyalty and really that's that's the important part is is uh we like these guys we like this family right and well we can get him an appendix operation whether he f- needs one or not right i think if he was guilty they wouldn't have done it um they knew what jean Burgerland had set up they knew he was guilt she was guilty and they knew kind of pretty much how she did it from what they talk about mm-hmm. because it's the same essential thing that they pull later when they're killing james right mm-hmm. so was, yeah oh, go ahead i was gonna say she's she's his white whale too <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah. a good way of putting because it the whole story really is him trying to foil her and trying to talk Lydia into, will you please just take these steps, which would stop her, these very simple steps. And Lydia's <laughs> like, oh, I couldn't mistrust Jean. <laughs> By the end of the book, at the first part, you're like, well, okay. It's very easy to fall under the sway of a charismatic personality. And Jean is a master of <laughs> psychology. So she knows all the things that Jack Glover's going to say against her so she can foil them ahead of time. <laughs> but Toward the end of the book, you're just like, oh, my gosh, you got shot at. You got all these things are so <laughs> obvious. Wake up and smell the coffee, you know. How many times has she tried to kill you by this point? Yeah, I mean, her 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 unrelenting naivete is and kind of got wearying a bit by the end. It's like, agreed. <laughs> because yeah, like, what are you doing? Because this is Edgar Wallace. He's the main character, right? Um you know, notice he works for a newspaper. <laughs> oh yeah, that's um, right. She does too. And he's uh, yeah. he. I, I I was trying to keep track, but I just couldn't. Uh, how many times he got married? But <laughs> it's many times, right? Um, uh, we're talking at least Philip K. Dick level of of marriage, and his life was not that long, right? He died age fifty six. So. Uh, when he's, he was um, going hard the whole time. It totally, and when he's uh, he's in his, you know, he's got the lawyers trying to manipulate him into doing, you know, being in the right situation. We're going to book you this, and we're going to try and make sure this doesn't happen. That's his lawyers trying to help him out of all of the debt that he's getting himself into. Well, um, but also, um, and notice there was dictation, right? <laughs> like there's everything, oh, yeah, everything yeah. in his own life. <laughs> he's using every part of the buffalo. But you know. You, you keep saying that, but you know it, it works for this story. It doesn't work for every story of his. I, I've just not, you I've have not, to hit it. Yeah, I haven't read. Well, I'm just many. saying, and I haven't read all of them either. But I've read plenty of them, and there's not all these echoes of his stuff. So that makes it sound as if all he does is take his life and twist it into an interesting story, which is yeah, possibly true here. I don't think but there's that not, many murders and that many coincidences. Well, thank goodness. But um, yeah. Paul, did you like it? I was going to ask you didn't. Oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But because you, guys, you, you guys all talked over each other a bit, so I, I, I never did answer your question. Yes, I enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, yes, Lydia annoyed me as a character, but I kept, I, I, I kept focusing more on Jean and her machinations, and I kept, especially when they went to the south of France, I kept thinking of to catch a thief, mm-hmm. just because, mm-hmm. because I, because I need some visuals to hang my my visuals on because I've never been to the South of France. So I just kept thinking of, you know, of that beautiful coastline and there's a casino scene in to catch a thief. And just thinking about these characters wandering through a Hitchcock film on the, and I, I kind of went with it that way. It's, it, it seems such a, it seemed just very strange tappy poles. Like, okay, so 
she, she she's asked to marry this guy so that the money will go to sleep. Then the guy dies, so she gets all the money. It's like okay, and now she's now she's going to spend the money abandoned while Jean tries to get the money. So it's it's almost like a reverse uh, William Miserables. Will Will Jean be able to catch up to Lydia and catch them get the money? Seemed to be how how this motor seemed to go, and I just kept wondering. And it's like, well, I don't think she's going to lose because this. I mean, that's would be kind of counterintuitive, even even the modern day, but it's just like, how is, how is Jean going to fail? But I wasn't entirely convinced, but I mean, the whole romantic idea of sailing off to Africa at the end was a nice little touch at the end of the novel. <laughs> he's, he's again, escaping his debts. Right? He's escaping his debts to go, <laughs> go, go to go to French or North Africa. He's all, he's all the characters essentially, but, but, uh, you know, it, it, it it's really interesting. Uh, did you guys? If you, uh, I'm trying to make it happen here on my desktop. It's not working. Uh, here's what you do: you go to Google and type in Edgar Wallace, and then space, and then the one of the one of the um, pre the uh, prompts, yeah, one of the pre autocompletes. Well, the autocompletes will say plot, and then wheel. <laughs> 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 Have you guys seen this? No. Okay. Yeah, now <laughs> it's funny. So, basically, what we have here is a, uh, it's a way of telling what kind of Edward Wallace plot you're in. <laughs> I'm trying to make it come up here and make it readable, but it's, it's not doing a very good job. So, basically, uh, it says, Wheel of Blind Trails by which the hero is, I'm turning my head up, upside down here, misled or confused. And then you spin the wheel, <laughs> and you get uh, chiefly mes- misrepresents. Uh, friends pretends <laughs> suiciding witness. Witness sells out. Uh, planted clues. Impossible <laughs> stalemates. Witness lies. There you go. False confession. <laughs> and there's a bunch of these wheels. That's Document just one of forged. them. Right? Oh wow. Um, and apparently this is <laughs> just, it's a way to get things started, right? Once you get them, wait, just give me an idea. Come on, everybody in the room. Let's go around the table. <laughs> one idea. Give me one good idea. <laughs> yeah, because you can't churn out all those books without having a lot of those prompts there to exactly. get you going. And, and also yeah. the ways that you're moving everyone around. And I think one of the things I enjoyed was, even though we're we're saying, you know, he probably didn't know exactly how he was going to get there. He probably knew where he's going to wind up is my guess. But um, I really enjoyed watching Gene have to improvise. You know, you're hoping you're, you're figuring, at least I was figuring somebody's going to get Lydia out of it. Blind chance, Mr. Jags, Jack Glover, something's going to happen. Lydia watch with, huh? with yeah, Lydia. I said Lydia herself with her double plans that go wrong because she's just <laughs> too many into the pot. Mm. Yeah, um, but I liked watching Jean have to, um, you know, go, oh, great, the chauffeur's in love with me. Oh, <laughs> I still have to use him. But yeah. now I can easily kill him because I can manipulate him <laughs> like this, you know. Or, um, oh, this kid has this really virulent form of this disease. Oh, everybody better leave or go to Monte Carlo. It's great to go gamble. I'm going to go put him in her bed. She's just trying every opportunity, and she plans it out so well on the spur of the moment that um, eventually 
I was really enjoying watching it so that when they get to the part where everyone's being or uh, Lydia's being shot at on the raft and you realize Jean's like, what's going on exactly? I mean, she's kind of going along with it, but it's not like she's just pulling back and watching necessarily right away. And then you realize, oh, her father came up with this and she didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So, but, it, um, but she adapts to it. But there's something uh, funny about it. The, the things um, become more and more far-fetched. It's, it's like um, a series of unfortunate events with um, <laughs> yeah. Count Olaf. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great example. Including the, the letter that she writes as part of the, the novel, like um, yeah. in, the, in the play when mm. the um, girl has to um, be what married. These quotation uh, marks. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I have the... Uh, my wrist is hurting so much. Can't you see? <laughs> so, yeah. so what I'm saying is that every, uh, this is why he, he can write so fast is like, I, I just finished reading a book. Actually, my mom read me the book. She bought it for me for Christmas. Oh, and I it was, that. it was one of those first, uh, first novels by, uh, somebody. Um, and so it's immensely research. And in the, in the last page is like the acknowledgements and, and it's like a huge list of people, right? All the people who helped get this book together. And this is obviously a, a labor of at least six months or more longer, right? The reason it's, that book exists as it does is because she spent a lot of time uh, researching and trying to make everything right. He doesn't need to do that because everything that happens, all the places that he goes, they're, all, you know, they're not generally set. He does have some science fiction novels. But they're not generally set, you know, in, in the Cro-Magnon days when he has to figure out what kind of animals <laughs> right. and go to the museum and spend some time making notes. Um, he's, he's much more like El, Elmore Leonard. Do you guys know how his, his system was? No. no. It's really no, interesting. So he would come up with a, an idea for a story. Um, like, I, I don't know anything about diving, but that guy, he dives really well watching the Olympics or something, right? And then he would say to his assistant... Uh, go, for, you know, he yeah he had a an assistant who actually was his research assistant. Go uh, go find out about that stuff for me. And so the guy would go, you know, comb all, uh, the whole world of diving and come up with a bunch of interesting facts. You know, like this is how they talk, or what you know that this is a really important subject nobody knows about, right? And then he would do his regular Elmore Leonard thing, which is dialogue driven crime sort of stuff. And he would incorporate whatever uh, parts of that were interesting to him. And that external research allows him to do settings outside of, you know, his own personal experience. So there's a novel where uh, it's all about, the, the plots are all about um, people who dress up uh, in Civil War uniforms and reenact, Civil War reenactors, right? And there's special words that these people use to describe people who are, you know, they'll wear the Civil War uniform, but underneath they're wearing regular, you know, Fruit of the Looms. <laughs> and and they're farbs. <laughs> oh. The farbs, they're not, they're, you know, you can't really trust them. They're just, they're in it for the weekend. They're not, they're not actually camping in the fields in which they're, right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, so that doesn't really matter to the plot of the, of the crime novel that's happening in the background, but that kind of research needs to be done. I don't get the sense that Edgar Wallace did any, anything like that kind of research here. I think he's, he's going to socialite parties. He's, 
he's working for newspapers. His editors uh, sometimes are mad at him and sometimes love him, right? And and you know, traveling to the south of France, it's just what we do. <laughs> so well, and he just he was um, you know he was just a popular author of the day. I, I mean, I say just he was one of the top ones. One one, um, in four, one of the statistics was one in four books in England being published was his. Right. I mean, and th- and that's how he could do it is churning these books out. But I mean, so in that sense, he was, you know, like an Agatha Christie, Absolutely. who, yeah, would would use things from her own life, but she was weaving interesting things around. And, you know, the, of course, every, I mean, you want to go back to people using uh, uh, research assistants, you got Dumas. Uh, James Michener for somebody a little more modern. I mean, that's a lot of people did that kind of thing. And so, but if you're not, then you got to pull from somewhere, man. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his are set, of course, in London, which is where he was. So, yeah, in it, the modern times. It, it felt, um, it, it, if, in feeling, it felt a lot like reading John Buchan's sort of mm-hmm. 39 Steps. Um, oh, my gosh. A little, a little looser, but not a lot looser, because that's pretty loose still. Um, but with a lot more uh, of a less He-Man and more um, plot-intrigued well, yeah. romance, you know? Because it's called yeah. The Angel of Terror, and mm. it's kind of interesting that, yes, that's often, you know, the villain, maybe. But a lot of his books are called after um, the person who they're about. And really, that she's the most interesting one in it. All the action revolves around everybody reacting to her. Mm-hmm. And so you're right when you say, or whoever was saying that he was in love with her, he really liked her character. And in fact, he gives her the most complete motivations and explanations of everything. And he shows a lot of the inconsistencies she has. So she's, you know, put that kid in the bed and she's now put the kid back. So hopefully Lydia will get infected. But she's up there reading to herself out of a medical book about this malignant disease. And then she's getting ready to go to bed. And it says she was dozing when she remembered she had forgotten to say her prayers. Oh, damn, said Jean, (laughs) getting reluctantly to kneel on the cold floor of the bed. And I was like, whoa, talk about a broken moral compass. Notice, yeah, she said, damn, (laughs) while she's up (laughs) her prayers. And later she says, damn, and um, Lydia finds it so natural that she couldn't be shocked by it. Yes. Which is how she evaluates her character at the end as well. She knows everything. So I don't think it's it's naivety. Uh, she Even when she knows everything about um, Jean, she still wishes her well. Good luck. Mm-hmm. That's how she likes her. Back. She likes her because, like everybody else. Because yeah. it's natural to her. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I like that. Well, and she tells her father, he he says, well, what are you afraid of? Because her father's, I think, afraid of death. And she says, I fear life without money. She said quietly, I fear long days of work for a callous, leering employer and strap hanging in a crowded tube on my way home to one miserable room and the cold mutton of yesterday. I fear getting up and making my own bed and washing my own handkerchiefs and blouses and renovating last year's hats to make them look like this year's. I fear a poor husband and a procession of children and doing the housework with an incompetent maid or maybe without any at all. Those are the things I fear, Mr. Brickerland. And you think of the people reading these books. They're all the working class mm-hmm. people who go, I get it. I understand her. And it's not saying that she's right, but it's she gets the explanation. 
Mm-hmm. She has a motivation. She's lived through this when they were super poor, thanks to the father's improvidence. So he's still got a moral compass of sorts, which she will overpower him for. But it makes really clear that she decided she thought about it and went, nope, this is not how it's going to be. And this is what I have to do. And it's fine. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, she says, oh, I just wish she was dead. It would make things so easy and smooth. Like, yeah. She just doesn't care at all. Yeah, and then the father's shocked by that. And but but when when at the end when the father gets captured, it's just like, well, I don't want to. What's the quote? Let me find the quote here. He's like, oh yes, okay. What about my father's? She, I mean, Jean asked as she stepped aboard. I think they've caught him, said Marcus. He'll hate prison, said the girl <laughs> complacently. Complacently yeah. is interesting action. Hurry, Marcus. I'd hate it too. Yeah, she's a sociopath. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, she, she she really is. Um, did, did I think that's have, a, a term they yeah they wouldn't have yeah, been using have, back then? Did they, have, did they have the term at that time? Like could they could he have boxed it and and like plugged <laughs> it all in? <laughs> I, yeah, so, I don't think that was. Uh, you know, they would have had a different term for it, but um, Jack. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I I also want to point out, you know, like <laughs> that. Uh, he is every character. So uh, if you look deep into his biography. It, it's he's done some questionable things himself you know he was accused of stealing um at some point it's on it's on the biography anyways um he jo- when he joined the army he didn't do it under his own name he's he's always running out on debts by the way his name julie did you catch where it came from uh, wallace Ooh, is his birth name oh i wasn't reading on his life so tell me uh edward tell wallace uh put himself into the army under the name uh, Edward Wallace, um, after one of his favorite writers, Lou Wallace, oh, right. author you of Ben Hur. I think I did see that. Yeah, the the Civil War general. That's right. Who wrote Ben Hur? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very isn't that funny? Yeah, it's interesting. He's his literary hero, right? And then we've got an odd one, I think, too. It, it's not it's, the greatest been, written book. Well, it's a, it's an interesting book, and it's because he, oh, yeah. he's an interesting guy, right? Uh, the, he's a Civil War uh-huh. general, and um, he, he's written this book that is uh, religious, <laughs> but also not religious. Uh, it's it's an action adventure, right? Right. Um, uh, yeah, it's religious as an undercurrent of everything. And then yeah. I, I I think about how the the premise of this book is is uniquely interesting, right? There's a there's a woman who has massive debts. <laughs> oh, not yeah. because of anything sh- moral failing she has, but rather because she's so moral. <laughs> yes. Her father got, incurred all these debts and he was a good man. However, uh, he died and uh, all the creditors say, oh, fine, you're not going to pay us because you don't have to. And she's, no, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and then incurs these massive debts, starts working for the newspapers furiously Right, trying to pay off her debts, and then suddenly, some rando stranger dies on the <laughs> somewhere on the internet, right? and uh-huh. and in order to inherit, uh, to avoid the money going into the wrong hands, these lawyers uh, come up with the the premise: we'll marry him off, then uh, she won't be able to get her dirty hands on on his money. Mm-hmm. He. The, 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 uh, and well, then, also she'll leave James Meredith alone. But that hook, too. maybe that they hook can get him so out. Um, to like, yeah, that's what got me into the book. Like by I'll, end of I'll, chapter two, I'm like, oh, 
hey, hey, I, like, because the opening chapter is like, okay, there was a court case, and the guy uh, is unjustly sentenced, uh, but these lawyers, they seem to have some plan. And then we, we're introduced to this innocent, wide-eyed innocent, uh, but actually quite, you know, competent lady who is in this terrible situation. Uh, she, can she compromise her moral values in order to, by the time she's married, the guy's killed himself, right? Seemingly. And and the plot's, you know, rolling yeah, along. That's a, a great hook. And that's right. the kind of hook that gets gets people staying up all night or, or Terrence, you know, dropping the audiobook being too slow. Paul, you were saying, <laughs> uh, you were asking me if I had sped up the audio. Yeah, because it sound maybe it's just the, the quality of the production values. It sounded, especially at the beginning, to be she was talking faster than normal. It's like, did yeah, did, did because we also had that discussion the previous, the last time we were on here mm-hmm. about the speed of an audiobook. So, well, Jesse, did Jesse doctor this? No, all I did was increase the volume and decrease yeah. the sound. Back, bad sound at the beginning, few chapters. Or, but by the end, even... I was rolling along. Uh, at at m- higher than normal speed, personally. Were you, what were you going to say before that, though, Paul? Oh, all right. So, so, so at the begin at the beginning, I mean, I wasn't quite sure, have, having no clue of this plot. I wasn't quite sure what this novel was going to be about. So she gets pulled in. She gets she gets uh, married to this guy. I'm thinking, okay, is this going to be some sort of weird forced marriage? Mm-hmm. And Jean's going to try to kill the both of them, sort of. And maybe they'll fall in love. Maybe he, she and the and the guy she's married to will fall in love, kind of like a weird. It's ha- it happened one night too. sort of thing. It's just like, what is the plot of this going to be? And then he dies off rather quickly. And then it started clicking for me. Oh, okay. So this is sociopath Gene just trying to get the money by any means necessary. And will Lydia be able to keep her life and and her now new fortune? So it's like so. Yeah, I was, my genre expectations were kind of unformed at the beginning. It's like, what is this really going to be about? I was also thinking weirdly of the movie Brewster's Millions. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, now she's been given all this money. Now she's going to spend it. I mean, I mean, we, we're not actually explicitly told that she paid off her debts, but I'd like to think that Lydia being Lydia, probably the first thing she did when she got the money was just to get rid of, just to get rid of her outstanding debts. I think Zach did it for her. I think they yeah. said the lawyers did it. Yeah. They said we'll yeah. pay off all your debts. Yeah, yeah. let it uh, easily let it go. Yeah, because they were talking about oh, you can't have the money immediately, but you can write up stuff on credit and we'll honor it. And it's like yeah, okay. So she seems to be upright and moral sort of person. So look, yeah, I think her debts are the first thing she goes with. And oh, then we're gonna go spend money and go to France. And like, I kept thinking, well, is. Are, I kept wondering when if the rug was going to be pulled out from under Lydia's feet as far as this money was concerned. So that oh. was a, that was a false tension on my part. I mean, it's never suggested in the in the plot of the novel. I was wondering, like, well, is is her nice ride going to end because they're going to take the money away, or is Jean just going to get it all at some point? So I <laughs> so I had some really weird genre expectations running through this entire novel, along with the plot of Jean just trying to come up with these insane ideas to try to try to get the money from her and scheming all all along the way uh, that, i think how novel oh sorry i was just gonna interject with um paul you know uh brewster's millions is also a novel it's uh, it was a novel first i did not know that it's it's kind of it, it and it, it's funny that you thought that because I, I didn't think of that novel but I, that's that's how 
if you if you look at the relationship that um, uh, Mrs. I can't I can't Beal when uh, when what's her name first name Lydia Lydia Beal Lydia. yeah mm-hmm. uh, her relationship to money is that she needs it to pay off her debts and then when the lawyers are f- fixing her up. Uh, she's like, oh, uh, that sounds like it's going to cost a lot. <laughs> and oh, but no, not now, not now that I'm rich, right? She's getting five thousand a year, and now suddenly she's got twenty thousand in the bank, and now there's a hundred thousand in the bank, and there's many more available, right? So she yeah, she, she got to go buy new clothes, right. everything, a new place, right? Instead of just drawing uh, drawing fashion plates, she is a fashion plate, right? Right. right. Uh, so she I, got, I, I used to being rich easily. I want to. I want to read the uh, the plot because we'd all like to do that. So it's fun to read about it. This uh, that's the appeal, right? So the plot. Right. Uh, I want to read the plot um, intro to Brewster's Millions. You know, like just the Wikipedia summary. There's lots of it, but just the premise is really fun. The novel revol- re- revolves around Montgomery Brewster, a young man who inherits one million dollars from his rich grandfather. Shortly after, a rich uncle who hated Brewster's grandfather, a long-held grudge stemming from the grandfather's disapproval of the marriage of Brewster's parents, also dies. The uncle leaves Brewster $7 million, but only under the condition that he keep none of the grandfather's money. Brewster is required to spend every penny of his grandfather's million within one year, resulting in no assets or property held from the wealth at the end of that time. If Brewster meets these terms, he will gain the full $7 million. If he fails, he remains penniless. So... The, the this is like Edgar like Wall- super fun Edgar Wallace's dream right <laughs> right yeah. I think it's everybody's dream I will spend that million thank you what it's it's the mindset like when I went to Monte Carlo I didn't go into the casinos <laughs> because I was like uh, gambling is 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 I know the the house always wins but what you gonna do with that money right once you get the money what you gonna do with it well, spend right. it obviously, <laughs> and the best way to get rid of it is to go gambling, right? So, which happens in Brewster's Millions? He he decides to bet a bunch of long shots in the, and then in of the movie he anyway, wins, and that's and he wins is like, oh my god, it's like <laughs> not what I wanted. And he can't just give it away; he has to spend it, right? There's all right. sorts of it's 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 a it's a exactly the kind of plot premise that starts this novel off with such a a great hook, right? She she marries a, a murderer <laughs> um uh but she's never going to have to spend any time with him because he's going to s- spend right. life in prison he's he's suicided um now she's <laughs> n- now she's a uh um an heiress an heiress with no with you know loose on the goose right <laughs> out right. on the town she do Able, what she wants yeah and and she says oh i could go to study with the f- with the uh Italian masters. <laughs> she can do anything. Oh God! Now you're making me think of. Uh, just to interrupt you. Of uh, it's a mad, mad, mad world. Mm-hmm. You've all seen it, right? I have not. So no. long ago. So, yeah, so, so long. So, 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 they're, so they're chasing for three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and the and the one woman who doesn't want to, she's in the park, and she spots where it is, and she tells the cop. She doesn't know this cop. Like I could go enter a convent or something. <laughs> and, and the cop is going like, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> where you'd have to give it all away i know yeah that's so funny it, it, it's, it's an amusing line that's yes right. sorry to interrupt you jesse that no the, no the, the image of mrs marcus just came into my mind now uh you you y'all been using the phrase sociolo- uh, not sociologist sociopath. sociopath um 
there's a much better label for our uh, anti-hero in this yeah. book, and that is just femme fatale, right? <laughs> She, yeah. She uh, there's a well, there's a whole scene where uh she cuts the guy's hand. Yeah. Yes. And he's so shocked, he just stands there blood dripping from his fist, right? And then she says, "Your handkerchief, please." Yeah. I'll bind it up for you. Uh, to to clean her her blade, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. She she's uh a monster, but she's uh very attractive monster right well and it's interesting to me the end of the book which is something i didn't expect i thought she would be brought to justice of course Mm -hmm. and made to admit to all these things and instead she hoodwinks yet one more guy who you know when she's pulling hauls the keel over and he almost falls over and he's like what were you doing oh i was avoiding this dolphin asleep on the bottom of the oh well all right it's for the wildlife Mm -hmm. i believe you it's for the wildlife And, and then i was like wow, this is almost a modern take on this. You don't want to hurt a dolphin. And um, then, of course, she's she winds up, fortunately, in the camp of the one person who's ever really interested her, first for his money, mm. but then when she met him on the beach earlier, he had a presence that fascinated her. And so she's finally in the presence of somebody who is equally interesting to herself. She's met her match essentially, because you don't get the feeling that he's overpowering her. Um, you could take it that way, I guess. But the way they wind up at the end of the camp, she's just like, oh, yeah. Is she going up to the hills with him, though? or is Because uh, I got the sense that... Him there. Uh, I, I got the sense that, yeah, she, the whole thing was going to repeat. The cycle was going to repeat. Oh, no. I don't think she could pull that stuff on him. I think that's... No, I think she, I think she meant it there. She's just yeah. going to... She was his, and he's super rich. He can give her all the luxury she wants, and he's an interesting man. Yeah, she forgets about the money, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah. the last line, read, let's, let me read the last line. But Marcus Stepney did not go alone. For the last two miles of the journey, he had carried a bag containing the greater part of five million francs that the That's girl right. had brought from the boat. Ginger did not remember this until she was on her way to the city of the hills, and by that time, money did not interest her. So it's yeah. It's a complete transformation. Other things had been happening, by the way. Yeah, I don't think she cared about money at that point anymore. She wanted to to live in a sphere of might and power. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of the the quote um, from Edgar Wallace: um, "An intellectual is uh, somebody that has discovered something more interesting than sex." (laughs) And and by that definition. She was an intellectual, but she found money more interesting. Mm-hmm. And then she found something even more interesting, might and power, mm-hmm. although he, he has lots of money as well. That helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get the feeling, though, he's probably, and they may have said this, but he's probably been in the habit of acquiring and discarding women as he goes, as people of might and power do in that position in that time period. Um, yeah, he talked about his brother, He's not going to do right? that. Yeah, right. He's not going to do that to Gene. No, they're they're no, match. match. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, see, in my mind, I, I'm already writing the sequel, and if there is a sequel, then there has to be a plot. In which case, she's she's not gonna she's not gonna be a leopard who's changed her spots, right? Um, but yeah, I I, I I I see that she's she's definitely on a different track at that point, right? Um, but I also like that the uh, the other guy gets away with the money and his life, right? Yeah. I thought he was going to be. <laughs> it was likable. Yeah, 
And he did have a good side. He was likable. He saves Lydia. He understands what's going on. It's just Jean's, he's weak and Jean's overpowering and he loves her anyway. So um, I didn't find him likable at all. Well, I only found him likable once he was saving Lydia and was faced with, oh my gosh, here's what's been going on. So he hides her from Mr. Brigland and helps her get back, you know. At that point, I found redemptive and, you know, he was being okay. He wasn't going, but Gene did it, so it's all right. Because he had a struggle in his soul and he decided it took two hours, but he decided that love was more important. Yes, that's right. So he chose something good at the end. Was Uh, everybody else fooled by Mr. Jags? Yes. I was totally fooled. Uh, I I was a bit suspicious about a couple of things, like... Uh, I was like, well, obviously he shows up, he doesn't show up at the train station, right? Uh, she expected him to show up and I said, he's going to follow her. <laughs> I was, I, that was in my mind. He's going to follow her. But did uh, you think he was Jack? I didn't. I didn't. Okay, that was, that's a, that was a surprise. Yeah, that's, yeah. I thought it's somewhere not too oh, yeah. far from the beginning where oh. he says, um, when she asked about his suspicions, when Lydia asked about his suspicions of Jean, he he says, because I have a criminal mind, he replied uh, properly, uh, I have the same type of mind as uh, Jean Briggerland's, wedded to a wholesome respect for the law and a healthy sense <laughs> of right and wrong. And so, and the resemblance of the names, also Jack Glover, mm. if you say the two together, you get Jag. Mm. Yeah, I got that um, after. after. And, yeah. and for yeah, me, the title, yeah, I kept on asking myself, who is the angel of terror? Mm. And at the beginning, I thought it was Jean, but at no moment does she inspire terror, mm-hmm. except maybe in us. But um, Jag inspires terror when there's the murderer mm. in True. her bedroom and when he he pretends to strangle her and she feels terror. So for me, Jag is sort of the, the hide mm. aspect of um, of uh, what's his name, Jack? Jack Lover. And yeah. um, because Jack is always the, the the two angels in the book are uh, Jack. Uh, they're called mm-hmm. angels, yeah, Jack and uh, right. um, uh, Jean. And for me, uh, the, the the angel of terror was was Jag. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, I, I I kept yeah, kept thinking Jean was yeah. Yeah, me too. I, but I she doesn't inspire that. terror. But she, but, but but she conducts terror. But it's like I mean, she's yeah, a one woman campaign to get money by right. any means. She's but she feels terror, terror herself. Team. She's afraid of uh, she to the point of terror from from uh, Jag. Yeah, I, I see but your reasoning. I, I cannot agree. Agree with that. <laughs> and I also found found interesting that Jack thought that Jean might corrupt Lydia. It's like Jack laughed. If you had been with her much longer, Lydia, she would have turned you into a first-class criminal. Is what he says at one point. And then, and then, and then uh, Lydia says, "I know what I know. She is what she is, Jack. But her greatest crime that she was born six hundred years too late. If she lived in the yes. days of the Italian Renaissance, she would have made history." So I'm thinking of like Lucrezia Borgia and people like that. Who she mentions, I yeah. think. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But uh, Jack makes me think of of Dexter, um, who. Um, only oh, yeah. killed uh, serial guys, killers. Right. Uh, Jack is only um, ruthless and does bad things to to bad people. So he's got the same mind, but he's catalyzed it into a sort of 
uh, a do-gooder framework. Here's a question. Because mm-hmm. they both guys... admire each other and they both say it to different yeah. people or Do to themselves. Do you guys think that Edgar Wallace knew that Jags was going to be Jack at the beginning of the book when he started writing it? Because <laughs> I don't think he did. <laughs> and the reason I think that is that the character shift is is pretty massive. I keep thinking about Jags. Is, he's this... The way he's described, you know, he's he's like a very good fellow. He's illiterate, he says, right? Um, turns out he speaks amazing French. <laughs> um, and, uh, oh, he needs, he's going to get rewarded? I say, oh, I could have anything? I wouldn't mind a pipe, right? This is not the same guy. Well, but he's a big joke. Think... He can't do it if he's uh, really that. Right. He's limping and he's got only one arm. He's of uh, no use at all. So it's clear that it's a, a disguise. Right. And, well, it's clear uh, now, but it wasn't no. clear to me at the beginning. No, I, uh, I agree with I Terrence on this. Yeah. Um, well, plus, I think you're – Jesse, I think um, if we put too much weight on the fact that he's dictating these things, you're acting as if it's just coming from a flow of consciousness where I think that doesn't mean – he didn't think about at least the main points of what he was doing and how he was going to work it out. Because if he's not editing, these plots are too intricate, even if they get increasingly outlandish, to just come off the top of somebody's head consistently time after time after time. And I mean, he had series after series of different people where he was taking them through all these different adventures over and over. And of course, some bear resemblance to each other, but most of them are fairly original like this. Well, one, one, one of the points I would make is that the correct answer is he knew and he didn't know, right? So this is... this is <laughs> You the, read that way. It's yes. Like you Thank, you. Uncon- Thank you. Well, the thing is, is when I, I, I don't do a lot of fiction writing, but when, when I do, um, I start things off and I don't know where they're going to go, but there is a place that it's going to go. And that place it comes from... I, in looking back and seeing what I was reading before I was doing writing, I can see the connections and see how plots are in opposition or uh, a twist that inverts or what. However, it's I know I know when something's going to work and and I don't know how it's going to work out. And I think that that's kind of like the fact that his name is Jags and then he sounds like Jack. Uh, well, if you're if you're it was deliberate. Well, yes, but if you're um if you're uh you know trying to hide your identity, you try not to, you shouldn't like like in the movies, you know, it's um Mercala and Carmilla are the same person. You don't just use an acronym of your own name, right? Or a yeah, I guess well, it's an acronym. I, I think there's two kinds of writers, um, and or and there are probably many in between, but they're the ones who are like you're saying, I kind of know where I want to go, and I feel my way there, and things come up. But there are other writers who don't think that way, and they each side is kind of scornful of the other and says, well, you must have some of my qualities. And I think that could be what's happening here. I mean, he there's no reason to think he didn't have a lot of this stuff in mind, and I think what Terrence was saying about, you know, the disguise and the similarities and just cause we got fooled. Mm. That's a tribute to Edgar Wallace um, more than the fact that, Oh, he didn't know where he was going. Cause we couldn't really tell where he was going either. I mean, I do see your point. It's hard but- to tell because he, at one point he said, Oh, this is a job for Jags. Yes. So he's right. used this. Ja- so Jack has used Jags before. This is a job for Superman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what exactly. I took from it once so, I knew. From a, from a writer's perspective, though, 
uh, he it, it may have it may not have he may not have had that right off the bat. Like it may have evolved as he was, you know. When he doesn't show up at the train station, that's when I'm like, he's going to turn up later, right? I, uh, but I didn't I didn't expect him to uh, like I'd forgotten about him and then suddenly he right. turns up right and like, oh there he is he was there the whole time um, well that was clear that he was going to be there all the time mm-hmm. well yeah but I had forgotten that he you know I was busy with other plot details but uh, I I noticed there is one alternate title for this it's the destroying angel which I don't think is. Um, <laughs> exactly a better title but it's interesting to think about uh in the in especially in the context of of what the title who the who the angel of terror was mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i've got a quote for you yeah. if i may go for it it's from um uh rilke the duino elegies it's a, it's a really famous it's a um the first paragraph who if i cried out would hear me among the angelic orders and even if one were to suddenly take me to its heart, I would vanish into its stronger existence. For beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror mm. that we are still able to bear, and we revere it so because it calmly disdains to destroy us. Every angel is terror. Mm. Wow. Beautiful. And so maybe both Lydia and um, who's called an angel, not uh, Jean is called an angel, and... Um, uh, Jack is called an angel, so mm-hmm. maybe both of them are the angel of terror. Mm-hmm. Could be. Um, I'm just thinking back about the disguise uh, thing. Mm-hmm. When uh, it's um, Jean's in a disguise when she finds out that Jack is in a disguise. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and her beauty is her disguise too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It, uh, it, that's the. The lookism aspect, right? Traditionally, we know they're bad because they're ugly. She's a witch. She's got a big wart on her nose, and she's hey 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 hey! I'll get you, my pretties, right? <laughs> um, but if you've got a beauty who is graceful, as we do with uh, Miss Beale, right? She she's a beauty. Um, I, I actually want to read the opening of chapter two because it's 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 got some really fun stuff. Um, and the the writing is is uh, as we would say in the eighties choice. <laughs> it just has that. It has that. Mm, yes. Here. Uh, so this is. I'm just going to read to. I don't know. Four or five paragraphs in. Lydia Beald gathered up the scraps of paper that littered her table, rolled them into a ball, and tossed them into the fire. What are those? Where did this come from? Right. I'm like, okay. She was working on something. But, Those are her drawings. Uh, yeah, why is she tossing them into the fire? They're bills. They're no good. They're bills. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was a knock at the door, and she half turned in her chair to meet with a smile her stout landlady, who came in carrying a tray of which, on which stood a large cup of tea and two thick and wholesome slices of bread and jam. That word wholesome is, is just adds so much. Uh, finished, Miss Beale? asked the landlady anxiously. For the day, yes, said the girl with a nod and stood up, stretching herself stiffly. She was slender, a head taller than the dumpy Mrs. Morgan, (laughs) the dark violet eyes, wow, violet eyes, and the delicate spiritual face she owed to her Celtic ancestors. Uh, The grace of her movements, no less than the perfect hands that rested on the drawing board, spoke eloquently of breed. (laughs) Mm. I'd like to see it, Miss, if I may, said Mrs. Morgan, uh, 
wiping her hands on the apron in anticipation. Lydia pulled open a drawer of the table and took out the large sheet of Windsor board. She had completed her pencil sketch, and Mrs. Morgan gasped appreciatively. It was a picture of a masked man holding a villainous crowd at bay at the point of a pistol. Uh, every time I, I'm re- rereading these lines and listening to you guys quote from the book, I'm like, that's Edgar Wallace. <laughs> that's a dead, all these creditors. It's like for a movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, this this is wonderful, miss, she said in awe. I suppose these sort of things happen too? <laughs> the girl laughed as she put the drawing away. They happen in stories which I illustrate, Miss Morgan, she said dryly. The real brigands of life come in the shape of lawyers' clerks with writs and summonses. It's a relief from those mad fashion plates I draw anyway. Do you know, Miss Morgan, that the sight of a dressmaker's shop window makes me positively ill? <laughs> Can I just say, um, mm-hmm. brigand? He uses the word brigand and the name Brigolander. Oh, mm. Brigolander! Yeah. Yes, yes. Catch Terrence. Nice. There's brig in it. Mm. There's uh, bigger, brig, if you yeah, want. Brig and, being uh, a prison, yeah. yeah. And um, brigand. Yeah. At the end of this chapter, um, is the promise of the book. And I, I really enjoy it when writers sort of do reviews of their own books. Sometimes, you know, he picked, you know, you find a, it'll be in a Philip K. Dick novel. He picked up the book. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one at the end of chapter two, which I consider sort of the beginning of the actual book, because the first chapter is the lawyers and, and the court case. And we haven't met our main character yet. I'm, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm with it with the. Now I know where I am in the in the second chapter. End of the second chapter. Um, uh, Since when has the Daily Megaphone been published in the ghastly suburbs? Asked the other politely. He saw the girl and raised his hat. Come along, Miss Beale, he said. I promise you a more comfortable ride, even if I cannot guarantee that the end will be less startling. <laughs> so that's the promise of the book, right? <laughs> yep. A comfortable yeah. ride, and there's going to be a big surprise, just like there was at the end of this chapter. Yeah. And I have to say for that, when you were talking about his writing is, you know, all those little things contained in it. Um, he also, he just has such a nice turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking about Mrs. Cole Mortimer. He's a sycophant of jeans uh, because she needs money. And she's an older lady, though. It says, Mrs. Cole Mortimer was a chirpy, pale little woman of 40-something. It would be ungallant to say how much that something represented. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like, Chirpy. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. got a nice, he's got a nice adjective well, for everybody, right? something is in quotes. So it's like, oh, she's like 49, <laughs> not 40-something. Um, and he, um, I, yeah, I was really struck also reading through because I've listened to it a couple of times. So I went ahead and read the free Kindle version. And so his descriptions of things like the South of France, mm-hmm. when she's talking, he's talking about going from a drizzly bedraggled Paris into a land of sunshine and gentle breezes. And, and this continual comparison of, you know, it was all awful and now here it's beautiful and glorious. And um, I was surprised at how poetic it seemed in a lot of ways. So he could slow down and do some of that stuff too. Well, he at one point, um, 
Lydia said, I have been run over, said Lydia warily. My poor mind has been under the wheels of a dozen motor buses, and my soul has been in a hundred collisions. Mrs. Morgan gaped at her. She had no sense of metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) But he does have a sense of poetry Mm -hmm. and metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm just... I do highly... Oh, go ahead. I'm just scanning through the book, and there's so many really nice little lines. Uh, This is from page 52. Uh, When Miss Jean Briggerland had recovered from her horror, she went upstairs and aroused her father, who, despite the early hour, was in bed and asleep. When the police came, or rather, when the detective in charge of the case arrived, and I kept waiting for that detective to show up in this book, right? Uh, Which which must have been sometime after the policeman on point duty put in an appearance, Mr. Briggerland was discovered in a picturesque dressing ground dressing gown, and I presume no less picturesque pajamas. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, like, where, where's the narrative I hear? It's yeah. like, I presume no less picturesque pajamas. Like, yeah. yeah very odd. <laughs> it's funny. Under the dressing gown, probably they were crazy. <laughs> yeah, like zigzags <laughs> yeah. or something on them. Yeah, I love it. Little so elephants. Impressed, um, on the, the minds of the um, police that he was in pajamas. I'll remember that. Right, even right. if they remember nothing else. Right. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, th- there's a there's a lot of staging and artifice that is uh, fun because we're we're getting the staging and artifice as well. So we're being we're we're being hoodwinked all the way through. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like is we because we're behind the scenes, but sometimes not behind mm-hmm. the scenes. It's his ability to surprise even while we're in the know. Right. It's fairly masterful, even though this is cotton candy. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's why I'm glad you guys agreed to read it, because I just love it so much, and I can never get anyone to read it, because it's too old. It's very old, and it's and the other thing is, he wrote a ton, and oh, just yeah. finding the this one amongst all his other stuff is pretty tough. Like, mm-hmm. I... I guess it's because it was on LibriVox. Is that how you discovered it? That is how I discovered uh-huh. it. And I enjoy that narrator. So mm-hmm. I was looking for what else she had read. And so I tried it and went, oh, this is really a great story, you know. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's she was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I especially her. after her mic gets better. <laughs> it, well, it, yeah. it's it, it's a bit weak in the first couple chapters. But um, I, 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 I was good. I can go in there, fix it some more. But you know what? It was just it was just a bad mic. So, um. That sometimes happens. People, you know, I'm going to try this LibriVox thing. I don't know if this was her first, but they do get they get you know more professional about their amateurism, which I really like. Mm-hmm. I, I yes. much prefer. They amateurs. can receive good advice about microphones, Jesse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're sounding really good, parents. By the way, yes, <laughs> nice and clear. The content uh, is something else, but I'm sounding good. No, no, I, I was I was listening to our uh, our our show, your first show. I, did yes. that go out last this week? I think it did. Um, and yeah, gotcha. your sound is terrible. <laughs> uh-huh. I guess um, like well, it's, just, it's just terrible. And the thing is, we can always improve it a little bit. You know, we put you in a uh, in a booth with reflective tiles, but um, content is king. And well, and that's this, yeah. I was just thinking that it's yeah. you know you'll fight through it to get yeah, the yeah. content. And you did because. Um, Julie, the version you're listening to is the you know unlevelated one, with mm-hmm. you know it, it, it sound spikes and all sorts of things. So 
it it's it's actually I found the the other cool thing about following a narrator on LibriVox is sometimes they have really good taste in what yes. they choose, you know, so that uh, I don't really care what it is you're reading because I've noticed you tend to do good stuff. Uh, so there's some people like Phil Schenever, he does tons of science fiction, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so, uh, oh, new Phil Schenever, I'll check that out. Must be science fiction <laughs> or mm-hmm. fantasy, right? And then you see um, other people, they have very eclectic tastes. They only do poetry or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's it's actually a, it's kind of, because reading an audiobook as a narrator is a huge commitment, mm-hmm. a, a full novel. It's a huge commitment. So if you're going to do it, um, and you and not everybody completes, right? Um, you pretty much want to like the book you're reading, which means you're <laughs> going to put a little bit of attention into what book you're going to choose. And then if you continue to do that, you're again nobody's forcing anybody to to record any of these. They're, they have no financial incentive, right? When I talk to my professional narrator friends, they say, "Yep, I'm doing another one for money, Jesse." it's not it's not i chose this book out of the blue it's they're paying me to do this and and that's not what you get with uh librivox because nobody's getting paid everybody's doing it because they love it or or like that narrator that we had for wheeland remember she she seems so enthusiastic Mm. that seems like Mm -hmm. the only book she's ever narrated Mm -hmm. but she's so into it yeah it's a good narration well yeah. Also, since I didn't listen, let me ask. There's two versions of Angel of Terror. Did you pick right. Lee Elliott or yes. Allison Hester? Okay, uh, Lee Elliott's Lee Elliott, the yeah. one I like. Yeah. So I was just curious. And I think I listened to both and and chose the better narrator. No, yeah. And um, because when the second one came up, I was like, oh, let me see. Nope. No, thank you. Um, yeah, because she has not done very many books. And a lot of I work. think she did. Yeah, she did Greener Than You Think. Oh. Which uh, um, Lee I Elliott? I, I think I might have heard that years ago. Yeah, I I wanted to do it one time. You're like, no, absolutely not. I went, really? okay, yeah. Why? Why would I say that? I don't know. I'm just a mean it really guy. mystified me because it was a really interesting piece of science fiction yeah, and eco science like, fiction from a long time like ago. I you stunned me when you said no, absolutely no. not, I like, Julie. Wow, I never what said did that. You not like about this. I'm like, <laughs> wow. I don't remember saying that. Yeah, you did because okay. I was like I couldn't think of a I, well I, I could think. Huh? I think I listened. I think I listened to it while mowing my mom's lawn. <laughs> well, you would then have to be running faster and faster to stay alive. I understand the problem. Uh, I uh, yeah, but it was one where I occasionally will revisit it. Not very often, Mm -hmm. but it's quite a good book. And she read it really well. You know, these little her voice. She can just do these little bits of humor without being really broad about it. I liked it. Anyway, the other book I would recommend by him, I mentioned already Jacko judgment. It's almost like reading a comic book, a super old style comic book. Um, I really enjoy it a lot. What's and the, it's a what's mystery the for that. For that one? That's the one where it's a gang of people who will essentially blackmail industrial leaders into giving them huge shares of their companies. Mm. So they're just making lots of money and the police know they're doing it, but they can't prove it because, of course, no one will testify against them. And all of a sudden, the thing that unset upsets the balance of power and gives the police a bit of an in is this mysterious cloaked masked character will show up out of nowhere with this maniacal laugh 
and he he will leave uh, cards that have jacks on them. Hmm. And or he will show up and deal out a jack to somebody and he's jacko judgment. And he'll do things that upset deals, but no one knows who he is. Police. Sounds like Moon Knight. Hmm? Moon Knight. Sounds like Moon Knight. Uh, that's a Marvel uh, character. Yeah, he's, oh, okay. he's, a minor, he's a minor Marvel character. Well, maybe we know where he came from. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, he makes me think in some ways of um, the Joker or the Riddler or something mm. like that. But he is clearly working for good. But he's not cooperating with the police at all. So um, it's just it's because you're seeing a lot of it from the point of view of the evil guys. Like I said, you're almost on their side, except they're so horrible you can't be. <laughs> But you're watching them be terrorized. So it's another thing where... It's like the shadow from, you know, you know that character? The guy with the... He's got a huge nose and he's got a red... I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I've heard of him. But the I've shadow never... nose. Um, Orson, uh, yes. Orson Welles played the shadow. The radio show? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and, he's also yeah, and Alec Baldwin magazine. played him in the movie. That's right. <laughs> with a giant uh, prosthetic nose, as far as I yeah, can tell. Yeah, as it's a disguise. A, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Because well, the, and this is just fun that same way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and there's, all, of course, a beautiful heroine and a, a gallant detective, but they're minor characters, mm-hmm. really. That's so. the, the. There's a, a very funny vibe going on in, in the period he didn't live that long wallace right when did he die in 30 i think was it 30 okay yeah well he he was he was in that like that period there was a bunch of magazines that were like kind of they're proto superhero magazines like um and and he seemed to be sort of the the uh, foreshadowing of that at least with some of his characters but he didn't make any that are uh Super well known, other than King Kong, right? Right. Um, his his, and he's not really known for that. You have to no, be looking him up. No, to see yeah. it because he he's. I think he's credited with half the script or something. But um, yeah, there's a, a good part magazine called The Spider uh, that was about one of these guys who terrorizes bad guys, and there was the Shadow, and uh, and then we got those uh, proto- prototypes. Um, was the guy with the big shiny muscles? <laughs> He's got Doc Savage. Blonde, Doc Savage. You, you knew exactly yeah. who I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, uh, shiny muscles and blonde hair, right? And and he's he's uh, and then we get these echoes as as far into the future as uh, you remember in the eighties, Paul. There was a movie called um, uh, Remo Williams. Yes, yeah, Remo Williams. Adventures the adventure of, begins. Uh, yeah, yes. the adventure of Remo Williams. The adventure begins. Promises the next movie's going to come out. Never comes out. It's, Never comes out. Just like, just like um, Buckaroo Banzai, right? These are these, these. Yeah, he never gets. He never does get to fight the World Crime League. That's sadly. right. Where's the World Crime League movie I was promised? The end of, <laughs> <laughs> um, they, what those were, Julie and Misa <laughs> and Terrence, it, those were uh, failed uh, MCU's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Phil Cinematic sure. Universe. That's oh, thank you. I was like MCU's. What? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's you. You can't have the Black Panther movie until you get the first Iron Man movie, right? You can't have uh, Avengers Endgame until you have uh, uh, I don't know Ragnarok. Ra- Thor Ragnarok, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a, an aspect like the Watchmen as well because. Um, he's not exactly Jags. He's not exactly Rorschach. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But the the Watchmen were had no superpowers. They just got dressed up and liked um, uh, smashing um, uh, evil people around. Yeah. And I think it says at one moment that he seems to be enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, they, they are proto superheroes. Absolutely. I mean, Sherlock Holmes is is a proto superhero as well. Um, and obviously, we did Zorro not that long ago. Yeah. Um, and he's a proto like they're really turning into what mm-hmm. we see the evol evolution. You know, like James Bond is not a superhero exactly, but he he puts himself or he's in superhero like stories, right, with the big set pieces and all that stuff and. It's it's pretty interesting to see uh, to go in and dip and that that's actually why I was willing to go in blind on this book is because thank you. Uh, no it's a big commit I right, thought it right? was because I liked it uh, so well no you. no it's because you liked it right Julie <laughs> and I've read I read a little bit of Edgar Wallace so and mm-hmm. and more importantly he was a phenomenon and I want to understand the phenomenon he was somebody who was he was just so insanely popular but you read these and all of us i think express this we couldn't quit reading Mm -hmm. you had to know what happened next and that is in his good books that is the quality Mm -hmm. you know and on his writing process um there's a a thing i read by brian alders uh a long time ago and he was introducing a collection of science fiction stories and he said um that you begin um, with uh, an image, a striking image that condenses mm. the whole um, the figure of the story. So he gave the example. Um, I just have to say that I'm writing a story about uh, uh, a crazy robot um, on on the moon, just uh, firing uh, into the void. And when I write the story, that's what will remain as the most important. So I think he probably began with. Um, uh, Jean, the the beautiful right. woman, mm-hmm. um, but who was totally uh, ruthless, and probably um, uh, thinking about that, he came up with um, Jack, who is Jags, and that already got um, uh, the interactions and the possibilities going. So there's a, there is a huge unity to the story, even if sometimes the chronology uh, towards the end with um. Uh, with Marcus, the the chronology in that chapter when he met uh, Biggerland and he saved um, uh, uh, Jean. Um, oh, uh, well, Sorry. yeah, picked up Lydia and and went off with Jean. The, that chapter is confusing because there's no um, dots or breaks in in the chapter, and some of it's um, before and some of it's mm. after what we've already yeah. seen. Yeah. But um, aside from things like that that he could have maybe changed or not, I don't know, um, uh, there is a, a great unity to to this Im- imagistic unity and everybody does what, what they're sort of um, um, typically they would do. Yeah, this is his Jack and, and um, Jean's story. That's why Lydia is, is so skinny. Mm-hmm. And, and underdeveloped. <laughs> it's not her story, mm. right? right. I, I was thinking about how how it would be if you were going to make a movie out of it because there is a movie. I, I was confused at the beginning, Julie, because um, mm. I kept saying there's this movie, <laughs> 1971 movie called Angels of Terror. Edgar Wallace is in the title, 
uh, why isn't that movie? And I just keep describing it to you. And he said, no, it's not that. <laughs> like, it's right in the title, Edgar Wallace. <laughs> like, but I know what I know. Yeah, he's not. he's been dead for uh, 40 right. years or whatever at this point. So uh, they're probably adapting something else and just stealing the title, which which happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if if they were going to adapt it, I don't think you could do a modern version of it, like set in the modern period, because there's so many conventions I think that are stuck in in the period in which it it's set. Like if you're doing Sherlock Holmes, I, and they do do this, right? They set it in the modern period, and then I'm like, mm, it doesn't work. I know. Think most people think it works great. I'm like, no. It's it should be set in the in the period in which it's written. Somehow it just fits better, in my mind, anyways. Yeah, um, the times when that works well is when they take that idea and then do something else with it, like House or something. Yes, I think Sherlock that the, even even though uh, I'm, I have problems with House, I think it, it's an utter transformation there, and mm-hmm. and and so. It, Yes, it works, I think, much better. It's just than, an evolution of how, you know, you use that kind of an idea. And, it, and cutting to the essence yeah. of what it is, right? Which is uh, that, uh, what are they called? Dis- differential diagnostics, right? Where you sit down and you say, well, what are the symptoms? And he's a consulting doctor. It makes a lot of sense. And then he's got this regular, I mean, just built into what, what um, what's his name? Conan Doyle, what what he really did, right, is he's he's looking at his his uh, university prof who had this great ability to diagnose people because he has massive experience and somehow can see things that other students or other doctors can't see um, because he he's had this massive experience and his just mind worked that way. Well, bringing it right back to the doctor thing, it makes a lot of sense here. <laughs> If if we've got a bunch of people running about in the south of France and worrying about marriage, and this is very Agatha Christie territory, right? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. not it's not our modern era uh, where we would not be worried about such things and marriage and and that sort of thing. So I don't think it would work as a as a outside of its period, and I think it would work very well. Like I'd le- I'd love to see the black and white. <laughs> You know, movie that doesn't exist adaptation of it because I think it'd be quite, quite, quite fun, especially to see the actors chewing up the scenery, right? Yeah, yeah. I, well, let's think about this. Was I think maybe you could possibly set it just after World War Two because what I'm thinking of is the sure. novel, the novel version of Casino Royale, and if you remember from the novel Casino Royale, it's actually set like on the coast of France because to to post-war British, that was exotic because, you know, Britain was under rationing and had just mm-hmm. gone through a war. I mean, he didn't have to set, he didn't have to set Casino Royale in France or, or, or I, I believe it's uh, the Balkans in the, in the latest movie or any place exotic like that. I mean, the, the coast of France was exotic to the British. And so mm-hmm. I think you could probably possibly do it, do it that way. I mean, you have, you, you have the, the protagonist, having gone through the war and having nothing and suddenly getting an inheritance and saying the heck, but yeah, going, deciding to go to France because that's a chance to get some color into a post-war bleak life. And as I recall, that part of France wasn't terribly ravaged by the war. So it could work in that period as well. But other than that, as, as you say, Jesse, I don't think, I can't think of any other modern periods where this plot would actually no. work well without falling apart. 
It would have to be more like um, Terrence was mentioning Dexter, where they have the idea of the sociopath mm-hmm. who's, of course, they've totally changed. I, I've never seen it, but I know about it. Um, you know, so they've changed the motivation. They've changed what he's doing. Gene would laugh at Dexter. <laughs> you know, you're not using these to benefit yourself, really, are you? Mm-hmm. Um, you're wasting but, your talents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why aren't you making money off this, man? You should be a contract killer or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, it's but it's that idea of taking here's they could read the story and take the general concept of it, but they would have to translate it heavily, you know. So I, I think maybe it's more than just um, being a sociopath. Um, at one point. Um, she uses the word flapper when right. she mm. talks right. about seeing uh, Malay Hafiz. I picked him up on the beach, said Jean Cooley, as any flapper would <laughs> pick mm-hmm. up any nut. And that's the sort of if, proto-feminism, if you want. The, yeah. Um, uh, Modern woman. She's the star the, of the book. The year after, F. Scott Fitzgerald said um, uh, Zelda is the first American flapper. Mm. Um, so maybe if you took that angle, you could transpose it into, I could see um, oh, Black yeah. Widow, um, uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, playing. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <There's, laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Please get that movie made. I will watch it right now. <laughs> and so will both my daughters. I, I think uh, if you if you modify the thing a lot you can use lots of elements from because she is she's an iconic character mm-hmm. well i think we did pretty well what do you think yeah yeah, yeah not bad. i like it thank you this has been the sff audio podcast please join us at www.sffaudio.com one uh by the way paul um this amalto recorder i think is better than the other one but uh, i'm gonna have to buy it because it has um issues with it oh, it's free yeah yes it does have issues uh, i'm glad uh, you noticed that yeah but i think the issues are it in the format i've got it, it creates three files one is a mixed one is a a, a jesse file and one is everybody else it doesn't do that for me. It sometimes gives me everything in one, and sometimes only gives me one of mine. Check, and check yeah. the check the folder because I was very surprised to see that there was three recordings for every one session. Oh, I can hear Paul's air conditioner. Oh, that's not, that's not my that air is. conditioner. That's that's my fan. I can I, hear <laughs> all of of Paul's fans calling in the background. <laughs> Oh, I'll just hear Close a sweat the dropping onto the mic. <laughs> okay, I t- I t- okay, I t- it'd be very I'm gritty. Trying, I'm trying to stay relatively comfortable in here. I mean, it's it's 76 degrees, which is cooler than it normally is. That, but, is that hot? Know. I don't know. No, it's not hot. Okay, I'm sorry. Wait, it could be to Paul. I I, pref- I prefer things cool. I prefer things around 21C, but you know. That's just the way I am. I don't, I don't know what that is. I know what 21 is. That's, that's, yeah, I got that. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Canadians got I prefer it around 70 if I can possibly oh, help Oh, Lord, it. have mercy. That's a bit cool. Yes. Um, you know, in the Star Trek Next Generation, they use Celsius, oh. just so you know. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I'm, we're working our way through that very slowly with Rose, who's never seen it. And I only watched it the first time through because then we were moving on to other series, but... 
That's what, what I would expect. Are you talking about? I missed two now. minutes. It disappeared. But yet the ones who aren't using Celsius celebrated a moon landing recently. Hold what? on. What? Who is that? I said, but you the ones who aren't humans? using Celsius they went there for all celebrated mankind? a moon landing. Those, those folks who went there for all mankind? Yeah, we did. We took your Celsius with us, man. Wait, wait, wait. Just we be nice. are included in the we there. I know. But we are the ones who did it. No. Canada was there, too. We just weren't on the spaceship. <laughs> That's right. But we didn't take your Celsius. Well, we might have taken your and Celsius. More importantly, and more importantly, um, there have been many errors caused by not using the proper French system of whatever it's called. <laughs> oh, Oh, oh. Let's have a vote, shall we? <laughs> was the Challenger explosion something to do with a mix between? Uh, no, but there was. Uh, there, uh, I'm pretty sure everybody wasn't sticking to one system. No, that yes. was that no. was no. There, there no, was no. yeah. There was a Mars probe that had that issue. Yeah, the, yeah, oh. that was a Mars probe. Mars. Okay. Yeah. No, Challenger was. Challenger was an O-ring quality system problem, which it which it gets talked about a lot in my job because you know I'm. I work in the quality department as a warranty minister. So, yes, that, so yeah. Oh, you're probably on the Celsius train, too, then. Um, for work, it, it matters otherwise, yeah. Celsius is just a, That's it's a right, better Paul. system. It's just a better system. Uh, Wrong. Okay. It's an alternate system. It's <laughs> not better. Well, it makes more sense. It's more logical. Much judgment. It's easier and more logical. Yes. Which is yes, why the majority of the world uses it. I don't think we should argue about this because you're wrong, Julie. Yes, <laughs> all right. Kirk is the one with his emotions and all who's making those judgment calls and getting it done. And the doctor would agree that things need to be measured in Celsius. Oh, see right there. Right. So he he would he's, he's he, he would hate to side he would hate to side with Spock, but he would do it because it yeah, was the right and thing to do. Both be incorrect. Because Captain Kirk is the one who's getting it done at the end of the day. No, just, he's, he's busy kissing green ladies. Yeah, <laughs> that's sometimes done gonna get at the done. end of the day, huh? You're not getting that with Celsius. You, you can't measure the heat of uh, 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 alien green ladies in Fahrenheit. I'm just sorry. <laughs> he's yeah, got to measure Celsius. it with his lips and too say, cold, she's damn too hot. Blooded. <laughs> oh, my word. Okay. Why don't we uh, <laughs> talk about something else? Please, let's talk about... Okay. Two ladies. Paul, I have got a recording going. I hope you've you mean got one. You and me? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> which one of us is Jean Briggerland? And which yeah. one of us is Lydia? Oh. Are you good there, Terrence? I, I'm both. Yes, I'm good there. All right, good. I know. All right. Uh, Angel of Terror. I'm just going to see if I can bring up the, Liber- not the LibriVox, the Gutenberg. I haven't done any of that yet. There we go. That's the one. Here we go. Okay. Jesse, Paul, someone else, another person, finished. <laughs> oh, I'm after my sorterrants, not sure who. Uh, I'm I'm in charge at the beginning and Julie's in charge at the end. So you you guys negotiate the middle, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I believe Terrence is is logically last, but you know, we're on the Fahrenheit system now, so I, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> oh, we're trying to overlook your mental deficiencies in this area, Jesse. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not good at math. That's why I like Celsius, okay? <laughs> it's very simple. You have no intuitive leaps. I can't help that.
<laughs> Here we go.